Hello, you're listening to the Eric McKenna Project. go into it man okay thank you for being here buddy yeah no problem thanks for having me oh uh i i am so confused because you are into (laughs) so much yeah your fingerprints are all over the place and just when i keep digging something else comes up (laughs) yeah understood (laughs) um we'll get into uh we call it the comfortable uh deep dive yeah yeah. get some background on you but what's up with the car you are a car guy huh if yeah. there was ever a car guy in yeah. my sphere, I think it's going to be my new friend here, Rod. You are yeah. a car guy. I am. Yeah, <laughs> I grew up. I grew up. My dad uh, used to take us to car lots okay. on the uh, on the weekends, and um, we would walk around and just check stuff out. And um, then, you know, as I got older, you know, I built model cars and then started collecting model cars, and then. Um, when I I moved to Florida when I was in my early twenties, okay, and I uh, worked for an exotic car magazine, and I test drove cars and then wrote articles about them. And, How cool of a job is that, eh? Uh, it was super cool, man. <laughs> um, and I kicked the door down to get in there because, uh, you know, I and, and I sold cars, so I sold cars and then I sold motorcycles and then I did finance. Okay, um, and so what kind of cars? Um, what kind of cars did Aud- I sell? Exotics? No, no. I did like like Chrysler, okay. you know, Monroeville Chrysler Plymouth was my first okay. was my first gig okay. at like eighteen. Okay, yeah. After working with my dad for years and years. All right. So um, when I when I moved to Florida, uh, I had this job, and um, they sent me to race school. Really? Yeah, yeah. They sent me to race school, and I got you know I just started driving all kinds of exotics and and it just kind of spiraled from there. So it's always been like an underlying theme in my life. You just can't get you away know. from it. Uh. I can't. <laughs> you know, I, I, I love it, man. I love it, truly. <laughs> um, what's your favorite make? Um, personally. Personally? Yeah. That's a good question. I would say, I mean, top tippy top would be like Ferrari. Okay. You know, I'm a big Ferrari guy. I don't own a Ferrari, but... Um, uh, I've always just been obsessed with them since mm-hmm. I was a kid. You know, it's okay. just like one of those cultural things that you grow up and you see Ferraris. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. So <laughs> that's kind of been my thing. Yeah, that's probably my favorite favorite exotic. Yeah, yeah. I, in the exotic game, I guess it's Lamborghini, yeah. Ferrari, Lotus. Still a relevant name out there. Lotus is, um, but uh, you know, not as prevalent. Not as prevalent as you know Ferrari and Lotus. They're they're kind of like the oddball, you okay. know. But growing okay. up, man, the Lotus Esprit V8 was you know like oh, I remember going to the um, Grand Prix, vintage Grand Prix, and seeing the Lotus, and I was like, oh my god! <laughs> and there was a Lotus dealership in Sewickley back in yeah. the day. Yeah, so, oh yeah, yeah. Know. That's why that, that Esprit was one of the biggest, the biggest, the meanest looking two door cars I'd ever seen in my life up up, up close and personal. Yeah, I tried to buy one, but um, from a place out in like Allison Park, but you know the the bidding war got a little bit out of my 
I'm yeah, like, ma- maintenance costs pretty ridiculous on this too. I was always told it can be. Okay. You know, people have to remember that you buy an exotic, even if you buy a used one. If I go buy a used F three fifty five for sixty grand, it was one hundred and forty new. Yeah, but parts don't depreciate and service doesn't depreciate. So keep and that that's in the mind. Ruse. That's the that's the people. No one sees that part. Correct. They just see the depreciation on the value of the car itself. Yeah. Even when people go out, you know, and they want a BMW, right? Because, you know, people like the floss or whatever, you know, they want to buy a $5,000 BMW. Well, the brakes on that BMW are still $600 to put on. And then, you know, or taillights or, you know, the taillight goes or, you know, you need some weird stuff with it. Uh, One of the most shameful moments of my life is I I had to have a Range Rover. I just wanted to tinker with one. So I bought a used 2006 a couple years back to toy around with. It was great. Got it cheap remarkably fast heavy car yeah until i needed front brakes and then <laughs> back brakes yeah and just and that was simple stuff <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah the, the maintenance costs just get it was too ridiculous yeah. i didn't factor that in in the right. purchase price correct yeah then that air ride suspension or whatever they have i mean all that stuff is just i mean it's a punishing to try to maintain that stuff so yeah, if you if you can't buy it new and you can't comfortably buy it new, then you probably shouldn't be in that vehicle because if you can comfortably buy it new, you can comfortably afford to have it maintained. <laughs> right. Yeah, and keep that in mind when you're buying imports and exotics, just, you know, that uh that the, that service doesn't depreciate. And parts don't parts never depreciate. If anything, they go up. Yeah, because of scarcity, right? It's right. Supply and demand. So for instance, like I have a uh, 98 Jag XK8 on on my car lot, right? And the headlight was, you know, it had the condensation in the headlight. So my brother, who's my mechanic, was going to try to fix it. And he's like, bro, you can't fix this thing. It's mangled. We have to get a new headlight assembly. Well, the only place to get one is from Jaguar. And it was $1,000 <laughs> for the headlight. For the assembly. headlight. For the headlight assembly, yeah. So um, mm. just keep that in mind, folks. Just keep that in mind. That's just crazy. It is. Yeah. yeah. I, I had a, a buddy of mine. Now, this is going way back, but in the mid-'80s, I was working at a place where a guy was a car guy, and he had a 70 Monte Carlo he was redoing. Yeah. Said, now, this would have been mid-'80s, and he bought a chrome tailpipe cap, mm-hmm. just like this long, but it was actually factory Chevy. Yeah. And uh, it had to box and stuff like that. And yeah. back in the mid '80s, this part was like seven hundred dollars. Holy <laughs> crap, man! <laughs> and I'm not saying he got it from Chevy, but he just got it from a collector or something. It was ridiculous, and right. he was all scarcity. And I'm like, I didn't make seven hundred dollars a month <laughs> a month back then. Yeah, you know? yeah. But yeah, just yeah. that taught me right away that you did supply and demand when it comes to car parts, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. That's just good. Yeah, so nothing <laughs> obviously has changed. Um, your background? Are you Pittsburgh native? I am. Okay. Yeah. Grew okay. up grew up in uh Churchill, uh went to Central Catholic. Right on. Um got kicked out my my senior year with like six months to go. Ouch. And then, and then uh graduated from Woodland Hills. Okay. Yeah. Got kicked out with six months to go. Yeah, I was that was a troublemaker as a as a kid. I was very um yeah, I was the 
I was a troublemaker. That's all right. That's my, all right. My parents, uh, my, I'm one of seven, and so my, okay. my parents have told me on several occasions that I was the worst out of the seven. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, was, uh, I was spirited, right? <laughs> That's a nice way of probably putting it, right? Yeah, I was spirited. Yeah, there were, there, were so, there were some escorted nights home by the police and, you know, lots of trips to the hospitals and Ouch. things like that. Yeah. Calls from the principals, special conferences, all that kind of stuff. So you so. made parenting fun for them. I did, yeah. I just put them through the reps, you know. That's, yeah. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting yeah. it. Yeah, I'm sure they appreciate it. I'm sure they appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Might not, might not have appreciated it then, but they've sure they appreciate it now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, entrepreneurial bug, I have to ask you, did you, is that something you got when you were young? I think so. Like my, my parents, um, I was, it's funny that you say that cause I was just talking to my mom about it the other day and my parents always had their own thing. Right. Um, so they had, my dad is a, uh, is an optician and okay. he okay. had his own optical business, you know, kind of like a Pearl Express type right, thing right. Uh, growing up. So he had that, my parents had a daycare, they like bought a, an old school and convert it into the daycare and like the Penn Hills cops would come and they train their dogs like in there cause it had lockers. And, um, so I was always around it, but my parents like struggled, right? Like financially. Okay. And, um, they, they, they would always take the leap, but mm. they could never quite grasp the concept of, you know, running a business mm-hmm. long term. So I learned a lot about, you know, like operating in the business and learning how to like deal with customers. You know, I was was 14 years old, like with a lab coat on, like talking to people who were like 35 or 40 at the time, you know, helping them try on glasses. That's a big advantage, though. It was going forward for a younger person. Yeah, absolutely. So I think. And and I was digging into this the other day, like why am I wired up this way? And so you kind of have to like reverse engineer everything. And so like that is the beginning mm-hmm. of my like entrepreneurial like right. itch. Right. And then when I was like sixteen or seventeen, I I I started a a business called like Burrell uh, Holdings or like Burrell Enterprises, something like that. You know, I did, it wasn't like for real, but you know, I went and filed my paperwork and everything. And Sounds I was like, like it was for real to you at that time. It was for real you know? to me at the yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So um, I, I've just always, like, even when I was, like, 16, I was giving my dad, like, marketing advice. Like, Dad, <laughs> you need to, we need to go take these flyers and put them here and here and here and do this and do that. So That's great. Um, it's just been, it's just been in me. And it's taken a long time okay. to um, to come to that, I think, truth about myself because okay. over the years I've been a absolutely terrible employee for that exact reason because you know mm-hmm. entrepreneurs are generally like we're renegades right right we don't want to be told what to do no. how to do it when to do it why to do it and uh, that does not play well with you know a corporate cor- America corporate structure no, you know not at all so um, not at all. there's been a lot of like, push and pull over the years until I really understood, you know, why I was that way and Mm -hmm. what I needed to do to, you know, to not fix it, but to understand it and to to kind of move forward. Before we move forward, Mm -hmm. 
one of the things that I, I believe as I look back at my own entrepreneurial life, but even in my own corporate life, is I learned very early the essence of customer service and human interaction. And some people at that time would chide me, say, oh, you're just kissing ass, you know, but I was about pleasing the customer because I, I found it to be very easy. Yeah. And what a great way to earn a living as opposed to getting dirty with my hands. I could, you know. Right. Th- that was a white collar work to me. Mm-hmm. But I recognized right away, though, that the that the way to the way to something better for me was going to come by just being nice to people. I realized that right away. Um, it did, but it didn't come from family entrepreneurship. Yeah. So it sounds like it came from – does that resonate with you at all, that, that concept of just having to – be nice to the customer, give customer service, and understanding that early, do you think that served you well? Absolutely. I mean, my dad was number one at that because my dad didn't know jack crap, man, about, really about business. Okay. But my dad knew people, and he understood how to talk to people, and he understood how to, like, dissect what people wanted and then talk to them in a way that um, helped him get what he wanted, right? So... I, that was probably the biggest thing I learned from my, my father was how to deal with people. Mm-hmm. And my dad was always extremely nice, extremely polite, and it was always about the customer, you know? Right. And at the end of the day, right. that's what it's all about across a lot of things. Like when I write a story, it's about the reader, you know? Absolutely. It's not about me and whether, you know, somebody likes how I write or whatever. You know, I write stuff that's going to um, hit home with the reader, you know, and it's not it's not about anything but the, the but the but the audience that you're serving. No question about it. Right. No question. Uh, it gets back to a couple of things. Mm-hmm. One, I think uh, Zig Ziglar said that if you help enough people get what they want, you can have everything. And that's a broad concept, but there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, the more people you help get what they need and want, absolutely, you don't have to worry, about, don't have to worry about what comes to you. It just follows along. It does. You know? It's value. It's value. Absolutely. You're giving people that, value. And yeah. why is that such a hard concept today? And I don't want to pick on young folks, but why is that a harder concept today, I think, for people coming up to grasp onto than maybe that my generation, you're, you're not that far behind me. Right. But why is that harder today, do you think? Why the immediacy all the time, though? Well, I I call it the American Idol Society, right? Okay. So back in the day when American Idol first, you know, it was the first of its kind, right? And then people would do all this work, and then they go on television, right? Or people didn't do a lot of work, and then they got on television, they became famous. Okay. And so I think our culture inherently has that kind of push-button uh, mindset where they think, well, as long as I can get on TV, as long as I can do this, as long as I can get to where this person is, then I can make it or I'll be famous or I'll be rich. Or, but they don't understand the the hours of work or mm-hmm. the, the time and effort that's put in to actually doing things. And the fact that there's so many resources available to everybody, like anybody can start a Facebook page or anybody can start a business and then put it out to all their friends and family. And then after they get tired of it and they see that, Oh man, this is going to take real freaking work for me to actually, uh, make this successful and they don't want to do it anymore. 
you know so there's a lot of like there there's a lot of people out there that are looking and they're comparing people they're comparing themselves to other people that have reached the level of success but not looking at all the work that is done to Mm -hmm. get there like Mm -hmm. even people will look at me and it's like oh man you've got this you do all this stuff but they don't see when I was counting change out of a jar to buy candy bars, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like literal, like, hey man, I I'm, I need I need to you know gather up uh, seventy five right. cents, and that was a treat for me. I was I was excited to have that seventy five cents yeah. to go get a candy yeah. bar from Walgreens. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like they don't they don't see that stuff. They only see the the end, and people are just impatient nowadays. And I think that's. To answer your question, yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. It's it's uh, okay. impatience. It, so how do we become so impatient? Do you think it all just kind of like meshes together? So a combination of social media, a combination of maybe, I don't know, education, lack thereof. I, I don't know. What, what makes the mindset go? Because I would think the Internet had to play a part in it naturally because before the Internet, when I grew up and dating myself, you know, we get the lectures about how hard you needed to work and you need to do this and that and this and that and things are tough, kid, and yada, yada, yada. And then, you know, you were willing to put the time in because you really saw another example of not doing that. The people that were successful were like you never saw them because all they were doing was working. Yeah. Is that still the same optic or are we in different – I think – Things things appear real today, but they're not. Correct. That, like the optics are very skewed, like in what is success, right? Some people think like success is getting, you know, half a million followers on TikTok. Right. Like that's currency or something. That's currency. Yeah. But guess what? Those people are still working at Walmart, which is cool, <laughs> right? If you want to work can, at Walmart. If you can monetize that. Yeah. If you if you want to work at Walmart, no mm-hmm. ju- no judgment yeah, there, man. Absolutely you know, not. There's plenty yep. of people that are working at Walmart that are happy, but mm-hmm. it's that, that illusion of success. And the internet wealth maybe wealth you know success and wealth and popularity and things like that right right but the the work that goes behind true success is not necessarily highlighted as much right and there's so many people that that do become successful overnight fame wise mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. the, like there are people who go on tiktok and do a dance video and then overnight they've got you know uh 2 million subscribers and they have they have some sponsors right. but there's also a back end to that as well like people are like all these pe- all these tiktok people that are getting sponsors like they're just getting codes right they get codes like hey uh, use use my code Jenny twenty two seven at this, and you'll get twenty percent off. Yeah. And they get a cut of that. Yeah. But most of those people are still working retail jobs. Certainly. And but people don't they they don't highlight that kind of stuff. Well, it can be an illusion. I mean, it's, it's all an illusion. It, it's and that's what's really interesting about. Um, it started with the web early in the mid '90s. It started there, but social media, getting research for people that I would like want to talk to, I have to really spend time digging down and driving down to make sure that what I'm seeing <laughs> out is there is real. reality. Yeah, I just don't want to. 
I don't want to waste their time either, but I, I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to, you know, sp- spin my wheels and not be interested personally for me. If mm-hmm. there's no depth there, and I'll tell you what, it's it's getting harder and harder to see what's real and what really isn't real. And again, to them, it's real. I don't want to say that I'm discounting their belief in themselves or anything like that, but it's not hard to to embellish your persona. Would you not agree? Uh, absolutely. I I think that there's a there's a lot of insecurities out there with people, and that's yeah. that's what they that's what they hide behind. You know, mm. they they hide behind the illusion of, you know, fame or wealth or, you know, you have people out there renting cars to, you know, <laughs> per, and taking pictures with them. I mean, there's the the level is I mean, the, the, it goes really deep on yeah. how how people will, you know, mask their insecurities. Yeah, it, it's it's a lot. And again, I have a, a larger point of reference for. You know, because um, I can remember pre-internet days, then the start of the internet, and then the start of social media. Fifteen years later, well, MySpace was a thing, I guess, but ten years later, and finding out something about somebody, you really have to—I don't know—you really have to do your own work. Yeah, and, absolutely. It, it, and probably it isn't that way just with people anymore. I'd imagine when you do a lot of—we we had a guitar business, we sold guitars all over the world, and we would have to check and make sure that someone buying a guitar from Germany was legit. But if I had to do that today, I had to do this 15 years ago where it was, you know, dicey. I can't right. imagine doing it today. What, yeah. to, what to believe, what, you know. And I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but it's, it's interesting to me, though, that people are just not content with who they are to the point where they have to lie about some fantasy. Yeah. Self-awareness is a huge thing, I think. And, um, you know, I... I do hope that for a lot of people that they can understand mm-hmm. like the, the the truth that drives them to do the things that they do or right. you know what fulfills them and I think a lot of us are uh, in general lost um, within ourselves and we just don't see what our purpose is okay and when you lack self-awareness right. then you're you're victim to the trappings of what you feel success is and what the world tells you success is. But success is not having, you know, a big house and nice cars and like all that, you know, those are, those are the, that's materialism. It's the the trinkets. Yeah. Those are the trappings. Right. Right. But our, our ultimate like success is, is uh, being happy Mm -hmm. within ourselves and doing what we love. You know, there are pe- right. people are, who are right. successful that that work at Target and they go home and they coach their kids, you know, flag football league and then go have a beer with their buddies at night or and play Xbox. And they are completely content in that zone. And if you are content in that and you understand who you are as a person, then none of the other crap really matters. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's... It, that's so lost in so many wonderful, wonderful people. Wonderful people that are just lost. In it's a shame, man. It's sad. Like sometimes I look through social and I'm sad at you know what I see mm-hmm. um, people masking with, you know, and um, you know they're just putting up stuff for people to consume to hide hide the lack of truth in their life. You know. Mm-hmm. Hey, do you ever feel? Um, when you're doing your work in regards to uh, PR, promotions, and so forth, do you ever 
do you worry about your clients not being able to express the truth of their product or their brand and so forth? Finally, do you help them dive down internally to find their own truth before they market? Do, do you think it's important to really understand not just the mission but the passion? Because I think that's lost on so many folks that a lot of content creators and people that are in in your sphere helping brand people that what's being branded is not real. Correct. <laughs> I mean, is that part of what you do or are you basically going to just do what the client tells you the, their vision is without helping them understand what it is? Because sometimes I'm guessing they don't know, right? Right. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of an oddball in that way where okay. people, anybody who works with me, um, they're working with me because they want to find the truth within their brand. Okay. Right? Um, okay. So I don't, I'm not an order taker, um, you know, that, that, there's uh, enough of those just, out there. There's enough of those out there and there's, there's enough people who will say yes, sir, no, sir. That's just not me. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it mm -hmm. just, it conflicts with every part of my body, right. um, to go with the status quo. But, um, if I'm consulting a brand or I'm consulting a personality or something, like I want them to understand the 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 realness in themselves and the realness in their brand and how they want to communicate that to an audience in a real way. Okay. I mean, and that's the that's the uh, that's the crux of it. You know, is hmm. the illusion is is one thing, but people. It, the difference between illusion and delusion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's an illusion out there, but but I feel that so many businesses really have a del almost a delusional mindset. Whether it's my money, whether it's how far their reach can be overnight, things that are possible. <laughs> how did this happen? Because it seemed like we've gone from rational thought to when it comes to business and marketing to literally. Nutso stuff. There's always it was outliers, Rodney. So let's say, you know, a unique thing happened to someone in business 15, 20 years ago and they hit it big. That was uh, the black swan. It was a unicorn, right? That was something in your mind 15, 20, 30 years ago you didn't key on. Well, I was really great for that person, you know, but that's not reality. You kind of could rationalize that. There's too many folks now that it's flipped. They expect it to happen. Yeah. How did, or even like it's, that's possible. It's a, yeah, it's possible, but it's like hitting a lotto. It's possible, but you're one in 30 million, right? Right. So there's a, there's a, especially in the, in the small business world, um, there's a, there's like a knee jerk reaction. Like you hire a, a, a marketing company and you you want to throw okay i i have five hundred dollars i'm gonna throw it at this 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 and this and if it doesn't work in the first three weeks then i don't want to do it anymore right. so that i've been seeing that for years okay with small businesses and just i think it's because small small business people in gen in general the majority spend all of their time building their business. Okay. Right? Yeah. So if you're Joe, the light bulb guy and I make Edison bulbs, then you're going to make all the Edison bulbs that you can. 
right? right? And you're gonna make the store what you think the store should be. But then there's the other component to that, which is actually telling an audience that, hey, I'm Joe the light bulb guy, and I, I, I wanna tell you why this stuff is so cool. And a lot of small business people don't focus on that, nor do they take any time to learn it. And so then you're at a disadvantage because right. you don't know what Facebook ads are. You don't know what Instagram ads are. You don't know what, right. what a tweet deck is and you don't know what LinkedIn ads are. And so then you bring somebody in mm -hmm. that is most times predatory. No question. On, on the fact that you don't know that. No question. And then they give you all these BS numbers and algorithms and metrics, vanity metrics that really don't, that really don't translate into what the small business owner wants, which is which is sales. Yeah, making money. Right? And so they come in and they're like, rah, 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 we're going to do all this stuff. You give me a $3,000 a month retainer and we're going to get you rolling. What they, what they don't tell you that it's going to take six months to a year to build. And they know that going in. But a lot of predatory people will come in knowing that it's only going to be a three-month thing before – the small business owner gets frustrated and say, hey, none of this stuff's working. Or goes out of business. Or goes yeah. out of business. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So um, I, I think it's a it's a balance between um, understanding, right, understanding your business craft, but understanding the, the marketing side. You have to know mm -hmm. what's out there so that you can gauge the, the, the metrics on your own and you know how to gauge somebody else. Like, how do you know that somebody knows what they're doing? That's the biggest problem, I think. Yeah. I mean, because everything's still the space. That's the word that folks use now. That space is still relatively new. It's still evolving. And, yeah. And, that's, and you have to compete, obviously, in that space. Mm -hmm. How do you convey the differences of what you do with Burrell? It's a Burrell Media mm -hmm. Group. Yeah. I saw BMG and I started thinking about the the publishing company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you get some confusion on that. Yeah. Um, but how do you convey the differences of what you do in the mindset as opposed to exactly what you what you lumped in, which is you know it's, it could be predatory in the way that that, that marketing yeah. marketing is given these small business owners. So um, my big thing is I will tell any business person the the same thing whether they're paying me or not. Okay. Right. So okay. if you have a business and you say, "Hey man, how do I do this?" I'm going to tell you how to do it whether you're whether you've hired me or you bring me on a retainer or not because I want small businesses to win and I want them to understand that it's not a magic bullet. Right. You know. So I'm painfully raw with any client of mine and say, "Hey, this is these are the steps." You can do it with me or without me. It's, you know, it, 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 there's no bearing on my life one way or the other because I never, I never helped businesses for the money. I never did PR for the money. Mm. Like when, when I came to work with like Michael Jordan, right, on, on his like race team, I, how I got that gig was I emailed the guy who ran, the uh ran the team ran the like strategic partnerships and said like hey man i will work for you for free and you can pay me on the back end i just want to um i want to help get sponsorships for you guys 
And that's it. he he yeah. emailed me back in like 15 minutes. This that's was in amazing. like this was in like 2005, amazing. 2006. You know, and I was I was like, hey, yeah, that's yeah. Amazing. And you know, I I I ended up introducing them to Tap Out right, and right, Playboy right. and a couple other uh, a couple other potential sponsors, Gillette. Um, but like that's always been my philosophy is like bring value to people and yes. if you bring value above everything else above everything else you know and even above that i want people to be successful right you know right. i want everybody to be able to eat you know whether they're paying me or not yeah you know so i had a i had a lady in real estate um call me i took a call with her about a month and a half maybe two months ago and she was asking me, okay, what are the things that I need to do? Because she was looking for a PR person. Right. So when I talked to her on the phone, um, it was it was not about like trying to close a retainer because if right. I wanted to do that, I could have. Right. And I could have said, I could have pulled all the little strings and said, okay, yeah, I'll do mm-hmm. this and do this and do this. For- we are gullible sorts. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, because they want that, you know, yeah. but yeah, it's, yeah. No doubt. They, they, they want to, they want the sales. They want, they, yeah. they want to win. Yeah. So, um, so I, I literally, I sat on the phone with her for an hour, probably an hour and a half and laid out every strategy for her. And I was like, go do it. Right. And if you need help, then call me back. But if you don't, I think you're perfectly capable of doing this stuff That's on your own. That's very generous on your behalf because it's giving up your knowledge and time. Yeah. To do you that. Know. You know. But what is my time? You know? I'm not. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where yeah. you find. I don't know where you'll find <laughs> any, man. I don't know where you'll find any. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I have to ask, though, because it's so crazy for me to, uh, to talk to anyone that's it's working with promotions today in the social media era because it's and my mind still explodes because the numbers I can see how people get taken absolutely you know yeah because the numbers can be distorted which numbers could have always been distorted in going back forever but it seems like now especially people are just more gullible is it because they don't understand what's going on really yeah the way they're being marketed to every day correct yeah people just don't know they don't know what to look for right you know, everybody puts value in like vanity metrics. Like, uh, you know, a marketing guy comes in and says, uh, Eric, man, your, your, your podcast got, you know, 3 million impressions. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. That's a big number, <laughs> but a lot from where to come. But a lot of people don't know what that means. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people are trained over the past, like five to 10 years to look at likes to look at follows yes to look at you know you know engagements and those those things really don't mean anything they right. they at the end of the day they don't but marketing like marketing companies have now placed a uh, a huge focus on those vanity metrics like a premium yeah yeah and the the reason why people aren't winning it looks sexy it looks sexy yeah but but they're not winning on the back end because yeah. those marketing people don't really know how to target the correct people right you right. know the, you can I can go I can go write an article and and put five and and spend five hundred dollars to to boost that article and get you know two hundred likes on it right but it not mean nothing a thing right but look. 
I got 200 likes, you know, your brand's getting out there, you're doing this, you're doing that. But at the end of the day, if I, if I want to sell shoes, Mm -hmm. then it does, it doesn't help the, the trend, the, the transactional part, you know, and people are really focused on that vanity part and not the transactional part. Now there is obviously you need to build your brand, right? You know, there's a there's a big component to that in building brand and providing value, mm-hmm. but you still have to sell stuff. Yeah, you still got to eat. You still have to eat. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And that's and that I think that's the crux of it. That's the hard part that doesn't feel good to early entrepreneurs on the web because they get the glossy stuff, they get that reaffirmation that people are looking at their stuff, their photos came out great. <laughs> you know, everything's yeah. yeah. You're looking like you're looking like the rock, but you're yeah. not eating like the rock. You're not. And you know what, man? I will post stuff on Facebook or Instagram and and whatever, and it'll get a lot of likes, a lot of, you know, words of affirmation, all Mm -hmm. this kind of stuff. But guess what? No one has bought one freaking thing. Mm -hmm. And that's how social media is. Do you know how many people you have to penetrate and, 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 and barriers you have to cross for somebody to pull a wa- their wallet out and right. type in their credit card number right. and give you yeah. money. Yeah. It's a freaking hard, man. I can't even imagine. Like, I have friends uh, in Pittsburgh, people doing, you know, some some doing some rather dynamic stuff. And I guess now they've got the, um, the influencer bug or companies are like, we want to collaborate with you and do things. And they're out hawking, you know, protein powder. And God bless them. Yeah. I'm knocking anybody. But it's like you're letting do you really want to be this, you know, pitchman? Yeah. I mean, it's like you're selling like, you know, mops on Right. <laughs> I mean That's what people have turned into. Though. Yeah, I don't I understand the the network marketing nonsense. I mean, I shouldn't say nonsense, but to me it's nonsense. But the multi level stuff It is nonsense. Yeah. But it's turning people it's changing the way as a consumer and a friend, I end up viewing people Absolutely. when they turn into human commercial. <laughs> yeah, because you never products. know what to trust. For products, yeah. Yeah, you never know what to trust. It kind is like of. that network marketing, relationship marketing people who hit you up on, you know, because I get. <sighs> I read your LinkedIn disclaimer. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> I get so many of them. And for me to put it in my profile, it, it, You're pretty I mean, frustrated. Yeah, yeah. It, it, and it just yeah. happens all the time. They're like, oh, hey, man, how's it going, blah, blah, blah. But everybody's got the next thing. I know, man. Everybody's got the next thing. I, I, I get it. on the So being in real estate, we get the lead hawks. Yeah. I, I You know, there's a guy right now, and I'm sure he's a wonderful guy, but he's from one of the big guys. You know, there's only two or three or four of them that the market leads to us. He will call me 10 times a day. I am not kidding you. I don't know. Here's the thing: they use these dollars now, where auto dollars. From, yeah. So the number is coming from Glenshaw, then coming from Trenton, oh, then coming yeah. from Washington. So I don't yeah, know who the it spoof. is. They spoof the call. Yeah. So and I and there's a part of me that you know because I'm a realtor, so I'm picking that stuff up because I'm thinking, oh, maybe it's a referral. That's how I get you. But there's there's no integrity in that. That that almost makes me not want to do business with that firm because it's like an example you said that it's it's predatory almost to a it degree is. in some weird kind of way, isn't it? I, I, mean, I call them out every time they do that. It's Any crazy. anytime somebody calls me and it's like a four one two number, I will ask. I said, where are you calling from? 
You know? I should start doing that. And I say, look, your number is, and I actually got into it with a guy. I was like, you, you know, your number is spoofed. And then they're like, what do you mean? I said, you're calling me from Oregon. And it says you're calling from, uh, from Pittsburgh. Yeah. And I just want you to know that, yeah. that I trust this company a hundred percent less. And I trust you a hundred percent less because you're doing that. Yeah. See, I, I didn't even, until this moment, I never even thought that that's a thing, huh? That's a thing. It's huge. Yeah. yeah. It's, I just, it's been really big over the past like three to five years. Yeah. That's pre- See, to me, that's predatory. Whatever Extremely. That, whatever that word means in terms yeah. of marketing, that has to be predatory. It is. Yeah. Because you you're getting people to pick up the phone under false pretenses, you know, because exactly they, right. they know you're not going to pick it up if it says 814 or it's a, an 855 number or yeah. a 612 yeah. or whatever, you know. That's, I'm not a big, believe me, I'm not a, I'm not a big regulation guy, but that seems like that shouldn't be permitted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, they've been doing it for know. years, though, man. Yeah, but it, back back to this influencer thing. Yeah, is I really want to get your thoughts on this. Are there influencers? Is it actually is it actually a viable thing? And then, is it actually possible for that to be a career path for people? Because there are people that believe that that's a career path, a career path. I I I think on a it, it it it's a nice side hustle. Okay. It could be a nice side hustle if you run some want some free stuff um and if you want a little cash in your pocket. I I do not believe that it's a um that it's a career path simply because after you dilute your brand so much, you spend so much time building your brand and then all you're doing is selling people stuff, then guess what? They start tuning you out like they do the commercials and like they skip the YouTube pre-roll ads and they skip every other ad and they fast forward through it. That's all they're gonna do with your stuff. So I think that if you do it on a, you know, with tact, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If you're more tactile with it and you're using brands that you actually believe in, then I believe it. it. It's a it, it's a good it's a good thing for the brand and and for the influencer. Right. But if you're taking if if I'm if you're like hey Rodney I'll give you you know five hundred bucks if you tell me about this light bulb, like uh, okay you know what I mean like yeah. and and now I'm the light bulb guy but then another <laughs> another another guy down the street's like hey man I got this bottle of water right. you know it's infused with CBD and uh-huh. freaking mushroom cloud stuff <laughs> and I'm now I'm that guy so a lot of influencers are yeah t- are taking that bait and all they're doing is turning into the guy in New York City. Right with, with the watches, with the watches, <laughs> and they open up the they open up the jacket, and they got you know what do you want toothbrushes, you know, I yeah. got Rolexes, Gucci, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, um, yeah, and, and I see a lot of that now, and it's kind of it, it's kind of frustrating um, because I've seen influencers build up good good brands with their content that they're creating, but then they start pitching all of this stuff and I think right. it really it really dilutes the brand and at the end of the day the consumer does not trust it because they know that that they're getting paid to do it well, certainly right yeah it, it's it's kind of um the only thing I can relate to that would be looking back into my life before the internet days and it was the Avon lady or the 
yeah. the guy down the block selling Amway. <laughs> yeah. Something you know. But you knew what they wanted. <clears throat> You're right. See the see the problem it's not that being I hidden. Right. See the problem I see with influencers is that it's you know it's kind of like mask. Right. You know it's it's like not the true intention. Right. Like I thought the true intention was to entertain your audience, but it's not really anymore. You know, you right. you want me to buy this light bulb so that you can get fifteen a fifteen percent kickback, you know. And do you really like this freaking light bulb? No, it doesn't. There's no connection. To Coke, that. Pepsi, they don't care, man. They'll pitch it. They'll pitch it all. So um, yeah, so that's different than let's say because because someone might say to you in this conversation, they can come back and say, well, you know, The Rock, you know, he's he's doing he's doing. Um, whatever he's doing in regards to marketing products, uh, the alcohol and that's and all his shoes. stuff, though. Right, right. That's the difference. That's the difference. That's, that's the difference. difference. Absolutely, right. it's his. Absolutely, man. That's his. That's him trying to get more. That's him doing his thing, man. That's he's building his brand. He's building it, his brand. Is his brand. I absolutely, mean, when you're, when you're man. Someone's products. That's not your brand. It's not. Yeah, you're, a, you're, you're becoming a, absolutely, man. Like. If there's anything of mine that I can pitch, I will pitch it, you know? Yeah. Like, I always have this yellow sweatshirt on, and it says, Drink Indie. You know, that's like my that's my clothing line. Right on. You know? Right on. And uh, I always, you know, when I'm recording videos, it's not that I put it on on purpose, yeah. but it, it, but I wear it a lot. Of course. And um, of course. sometimes I think, like, do people think I'm making the same like recording all this crap that I'm recording because <laughs> I always have the same sweatshirt on. But, you know, I just wear the sweatshirt a lot. But I think if you're pushing your own stuff, yeah, it's a lot different. There's more integrity there. There's more integrity there than, yeah. you know, like Bob I, Guy. I just see some of these good friends of mine too and they're doing dynamic stuff but they're onto this, whether it's like, again, protein powder, CBD, clothing. I don't... I don't knock the drive. I don't because I I will give tip hat to anyone who has drive. Yeah, they're hustling. Yeah, I just I just worry that they're going to start being looked at differently by other people in their sphere. Yeah, and, and get dismissed at some point in time, depending on how they maneuver that influencing thing. You know, yeah, it's a tough. It's a it's a slippery slope. It is if you get too too deep in the waters with it. I think you still have to like. I think you can pitch. Um, responsibly, okay, and providing still providing good content, mm-hmm. and then pitching accordingly. But I I really believe that people should pitch brands that they believe in, or that they use. At least, yeah, certainly at I mean. minimum. But there are people that pitch stuff just just because they get it for free in the mail. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. hey, I got this. You know, <laughs> I, I, I use just, it. I don't know. I. What's so funny about the web is. Obviously, those making great money on YouTube and so forth are doing it, but there's that disparity between the top, the top tier of small group people that are monetizing, and I don't think there's a big middle, is there? There's like the top tier, and then it kind of falls off. There are some people making money on YouTube, but YouTube's different, you know, because you get paid from the ads right. that are running on YouTube, right? And so it's all based on views and all that kind of stuff. So. I think YouTube even provides a a better platform to create content and get compensated for that content. Okay. It's a true partnership with the platform. 
So they're saying, hey, we want to give you a cut of the advertising that revenue. That we're running on the banner ads that run Correct. Out. Now, those are for people that don't subscribe to YouTube, right? If you don't buy the premium. Right. If you buy the premium, you don't get the ads. You don't get the ads, no. So I'm just trying to understand how that works. that premium? Because I, I could not stand it. Yeah. I, I have premium. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't have premium, stand it. I have premium, too. Yeah. I've had it for years, so I can't Same. take it. Yeah. Can't take it. Can't <laughs> take it. Um, but where I was headed with that was you know like Joe Rogan's program when I would listen to the audio only which was rare mm-hmm. there was the commercials in the beginning and if, it's just human nature you just fast forward through that stuff yeah. I'm not unique everybody's doing that stuff so yeah absolutely I mean obviously it has to be working like if Rogan says you know use this ass wipe so people, yeah. people do it right but you wonder like oh my gosh like you know, I'm fast-forwarding through. How many more people are fast-forwarding through and not listening to that stuff? A lot. A lot, um, including me. But there are people who are not. And there are people that, especially if you listen to that podcast day after day after day after day, eventually, okay. Okay. eventually it, it gets in. through. It get, it, You know, it's subliminal, you know. Yeah, I would think. That's, that's the key to marketing in, in general. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, I it's totally just consistency. Yeah, it's just I, consistency. I, I just... For the life of me, I, I just don't the, the whole influencer thing. I'm so lost on that, and I understand the lore because the people that are in, in quirky little niches that are making it big on YouTube or Facebook, whatever. I get it. They're average people, probably. Just you need people that had had a lot of luck involved too. Would you not agree? I mean, you got to be sometimes at the right place at the right time. Yeah, right, right. Video, you know, some, you know, somebody sees it and they're like, "Hey, that's pretty cool. You want to <laughs> do this thing?" You know. Yeah, so that happens a lot. Yeah, luck, luck is huge, man. Luck and timing. Yeah, yeah no question. Yeah. In regards to marketing in general, though, because when you're working with, let's say you're working with a small to mid-sized company, I'm not saying like an influencer, let's say mm-hmm. like a realtor or a one-man show, but a small business. Do you ever see any issues with the team of employees not buying into the concept? I mean, obviously you're getting paid by the owner or the president. Right. But you do need to have a culture buy into the marketing as well, especially today, right? Because everybody has their own social media profile, and it's somewhat connected to that entity. That's got to be a tough – that's got to be tough. It is. Um, And – True change has to come from the top down in any organization. Um, and a lot of times the, you know, if, if, if the leadership is misguided and um, they're not in tune with their people mm-hmm. and what drives each one of their people to be more successful within that organization, then most times marketing initiatives go left right back and front and no one's ever really on board but they have to listen because they're getting a paycheck okay and so that's how companies have you know unsuccessful marketing strategies and marketing campaigns because the leadership is not focused enough on number one their own self-awareness and then number two the the awareness of their teams okay. and their leadership within those teams. It just seems so much more complex today. I mean, before all of this social media, before the web got real proliferated, you know, you didn't have to worry that much about 
the, the individual um, expression of your employees and buying into the culture. Either you're going to work here, this is what we're going to do, this is what we believe, this is how we're going to operate. Yeah. But now the individuals got more reach. Would you not say the employees got more reach and can do more damage to the marketing plan or the culture because they are, I don't know, they they have they have their own individual expression out there, right? Yeah, but that's good though, you know. Because Is it? yeah, I think so. Because okay. because um, I mean, from you a know, corporate we, standpoint, yeah, I think we win as a team. Okay, you know, uh, a corporation is only a structure of individuals right it's, it's not a robot it's not ai right like mm. all the decisions that are made in a corporation come from human beings so if human beings aren't happy and if the leadership is disconnected and tone deaf to the needs right. of employees and the needs of um you know upper management and designers and writers and creative people mm-hmm. if they don't have that uh cohesion then there there will always be a disconnect between the the corporate side and the creative side yeah i, I think that's always been the rule uh, but i think today is it's it's i don't know i just would think it'll be harder to manage today it is it's extremely hard to manage yeah yeah, from whether it's personnel or whether it's just the process, it, it has to be harder today. The reach from the reach that each employee has in their own individual, because social media is a platform, right? I mean, everybody has their own website now. Think about that. We could talk about whether websites are as valid today as they were before social media. I don't think they are. You know, having domains used to be so expensive, <laughs> yeah, right? and domain value can't be what it used to be. But, we all in, have so, in some regards, they are, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, but, I mean, but you can go on GoDaddy and buy a domain for 11 bucks now. So. Right, yeah. right, right. But but having, like, you know, I'm ericmckenna.com, you know, mm-hmm. it was great for real estate and it was my personal brand, but once social media outlets came popular, I don't know if are people still surfing in the websites as often as they, they did prior. Absolutely. They are? Yeah. And... I think that is a missed opportunity for a lot of people okay. to capture their own list, right? So we, we you have to remember that like w- the reason that Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Twitter, TikTok, the reason why all these platforms are so valuable mm-hmm. is because of the information they well, have, certainly, right? right. And so if you can develop a list, right? If you're driving people to your website and you're getting people to input their email address and you're doing an email newsletter, which Mm -hmm. is still one of the most effective ways. Really? Absolutely. Especially to a targeted list of people who want to hear from you. Okay. Not everybody on Facebook wants to hear from you. Right. Or Instagram. That We have to amplify that with money, right? Yeah, absolutely For more people to see it. No question. So- No question. If if you have, I would rather have a hundred people that want to hear from me. I would rather have their email address than ten thousand people who could give, right. you know, right. two shits about me and what I have to say. Yeah. And I have to, I have to push. It's a push to to get in front of them versus having them already there. So, 
if if you're driving people to a website and people are going there and they're signing up for your newsletter, that is more valuable mm-hmm. than Twitter, Facebook, IG. Huh. So I was wrong there because my 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 perception was that folks were just because I don't know because I guess everybody now has their own site. You they know, do. You, you don't own it, right? But it's kind of a mini site within a pl- another platform, right? right. And I, I, people are, they're 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 using them, but they're missing the they're leaving money on the table with with developing their own list, and that's something that people have really, um, I think, dismissed because it, it's it's like that sleeping dragon right there, you know? Like yeah, because it's captive. It's captive, and they want to hear from you. They've right. signed up. Yeah, they there's, they had to take action. They had to take action. And there's all these anti-spam laws and all this kind of stuff. So if somebody gives you their email address, they are they are literally saying, "Please send me your crap. I want <laughs> I want to know about it." So yeah. like, wh- I I started a business like five years ago called uh, Coffee Passport. Yes, right. We're going to get there. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and let's that, go there. Let's go there now. And that and that was our biggest. Um, that was our biggest response. Like, no joke, we have like a seventy percent open rate. Wow! On our email address, wow. on our email list, seventy wow. percent, man. And that is That's through and through and through. Yeah. And you know why? Because we don't spam the crap out of people. And when we send stuff, it's meaningful. Yeah. There's value there. There's yeah. value there, yeah. and people want to. They they want it. Right. So, um, yeah. So that's why I think email lists are pretty good. <laughs> Taking me to school today. Coffee passport. Is, yeah. I am fascinated by that. <laughs> so, okay. What is it actually and what, where did the idea come from? So the idea came from a, a barista and um, we were we were sitting down and, and this is when I was um, editor-in-chief for local Pittsburgh magazine. Right. And um, we were sitting down just talking. She was like, you know what, man? You know, I had this really cool experience when I was in Chicago and they had this thing, they had this like passport thing where, you know, people could, you know, visit other coffee shops. And I was like, oh man, that that's really, that's really neat. Um, so I basically took that conversation and said, Hey, I, I think I want to try something like that in Pittsburgh. Okay. And so, um, what's the nuts and bolts of it? How does it work? So, uh, you, you basically purchase a passport, it's okay. 20 bucks and you can then visit a coffee shop. There's, uh, independent coffee shops. Um, there's 10 on each passport. Okay. And so you can visit the coffee shop and you get a free drink basically. For twenty dollars, for twenty bucks, huh? Yeah, and these are independent coffee. It's just not your Starbucks. You're not correct. Your, your uh... yeah. The 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 motivation was to generate awareness for small, small businesses, businesses, right, and uh, help the coffee community. So um, it's been going strong for five years, and um, wow, and uh, yeah, I mean people people love it, man. They really do. I get messages all the time and emails and. You know, people hit us up on Instagram, and you know, we didn't do we didn't do the Black Friday thing this year because we always do like a buy one get one right uh, for Black Friday. But we didn't do this one do one this year because a lot of the coffee shops are 
kind of struggling. Sure they are. And some don't have, um, you know, yeah. indoor dining. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, yeah. it's just very, like, yeah. uh, it's very weird right now. So um, we wanted the the consumer to be able to have a good experience right. at, at every shop. So we're going to relaunch in in March. Yeah, once things um, hopefully settle down here a yeah, little bit. Yeah, when things settle down. Yeah, so. it's, it's very cool. There's like 30... To if I read correctly, you have over thirty coffee shops. Already. 40, 40. 40 now. Yeah, it's up yeah. to forty. Yeah, because we have four passports. Wow. Yeah. Now I think we're gonna scale back. Okay. Um, to probably like two passports, um, and but simply because a lot of the coffee shops, you know, this this whole pandemic thing yeah. has. Yeah really riddled some of the shops and some of the shops don't want to do it anymore. Right. They don't want to, they don't want to give away coffee and right. you know, they don't necessarily see the value in it. So we're going to scale it back and then, um, change our compensation model for the okay. coffee shops so that every coffee shop is getting, um, getting paid per redemption. Got it. You know, um, Got it. because our, our, our compensation package was a little bit different, but we want to make it, so that the coffee shops are winning the same in every coffee shop. Okay. Because before they, they kept, um, we gave them the, the passports for free. Mm-hmm. Right. And then they kept a hundred percent of the sales of the coffee shop in their store. Got it. But the co- but they're 20 bucks. So right. there were some coffee right. shops who are killing it, man. Got they it. were calling us back for refills. Like, I hey, bet. man, we, we sold out of 20 of these things. You know, can we get some more? And, you know, we print them and then and send them off. But some coffee shops weren't. Got it. They weren't selling them, but they're still redeeming them. And so they're losing, you know. Mm-hmm. They're like, hey, man, well, I'm not selling anything, but I, I did friggin' 50 redemptions. You know, how do I, how, do, yeah. how am I going to win? So yeah. now yeah. we're going to pay them all the same. Um, I understand. Per, per redemption. So, did you dive into that uh, that business a little bit to understand it before you launched this? Because coffee shops fascinate me. Because obviously, it's I just never saw where the money money. Was. It really has to be run right, like any business. But it really needs to be run correctly for a coffee shop to survive. Yeah, they're tight Without ships. The pandemic. Yeah, I would think yeah. so. Right. Yeah, they're tight ships. Um, so I dug into it. Uh, my girlfriend actually helped me. Uh, do a lot of the legwork. Like we were literally driving around. I mean, just how much coffee did you drink one day? <laughs> I don't. You know, you know the crazy thing is, man. I don't even drink coffee. Really? I'm not. A, I'm not a big coffee person. Okay. She drinks a lot of coffee, but we. My thing was like chai tea, like chai right. tea lattes. That's what I. That's all right. that's all I drank at like every shop. But right. we drove around to. Co- I mean. 60 70 coffee shops over the last you know five years but in the beginning like it wasn't a proven concept right, right so right. people are like well who the fuck are you man <laughs> you know what i mean like we don't what do you mean a passport what is this groupon i mean like like i bet like people bet. were like yeah some of some people were like really like mean to us man really they were That's like man get get out of here like man really yeah yeah some some, some of the shop owners were like you know you know kick kick a can down the road okay. but anyway okay. um we eventually got like our our um espresso amano in um in Lawrenceville mm-hmm. they were the first one to sign up all right and uh from that point on like 
because they're like creme de la creme. Oh, yeah. And once they signed up, oh, yeah. everybody else was like, oh, well, Espresso Amano's doing it. That works, we'll do. huh? Yeah. <laughs> Funny how that works. So, um, but it's it's been a really it's been a really cool project and uh, but now I'm opening a coffee shop. So, okay. So it's of course you are. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> what else don't you do? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So so that's part of the reason we're scaling back to two passports so we can manage it a little bit better. Okay. Um. But uh. Yeah. The coffee shop's going to be called the the Black Canary. The Black Canary. Yeah. And where's this going to be? Springdale. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be in Springdale. So. Uh, are you able to, like, you know, do something with space and time that I can't? Like, are you able to find extra hours of every day somewhere? <laughs> is there a secret to that? Cause I you don't know, know what's crazy, man, is I, like, my, my kids were um, in Tennessee, you know, visiting some friends and stuff um, with their mom. And uh, I literally worked like from morning and then I went to the car lot I worked there and then I I just I work I work yeah, no all doubt. you would have to all day and all night like into the wee <laughs> into the wee hours of the morning like sometimes two three four o'clock in the morning I'm working on yeah. stuff like last night I was up to like 1 a.m you know on Instagram because I I run all of my own social channels right so you i don't i don't even i don't ha have a number of how many social channels that i that i operate but it's it's north of probably 20 wow um wow. and so i just you know i'm always on interacting with people you know messaging back and forth you know looking for partnerships or whatever it may be right but um i just i work a lot but I, it's not recommended for everybody because I I genuinely love it. Yeah, you'd have to. I, and that's what I do. Like people are like, "Well, how do you relax?" Well, that's how I relax. Right. I mean, I obviously oh, do, I get it. I obviously I do it. things for like self care. Like I work out every morning mm -hmm. and um, and that kind of stuff. I play tennis. Mm -hmm. You know, all all that kind of stuff. But um, my my happy place is on my computer, on my phone, like just doing your thing yeah grinding it out man just researching you know yeah. whatever it may be so that co coffee passport is that mm -hmm. scalable for other industries or other other let's say other industries other um i don't know kinds of restaurants or we we thought about it um so i booze <laughs> we 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 explored the the uh booze thing but it was the logistics were just too much like the legalities okay of having free beer or free alcohol um especially with like uh age restrictions Got and all that kind of stuff and like you can't give away free stuff like it, it like we dug deep into it but right. it just didn't like the 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 biggest thing we came up with was like a discount ticket okay you know, like drink tickets which we didn't really want to get into yeah, yeah 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 um so so we did that or we tried that I then uh, launched something called Couples Passport, okay, which was um, uh, basically a like a date night on a card, right? So we we develop partnerships with like okay. um, like an axe throwing place, yeah, yeah, yeah. a movie place, and you know all these different places. You buy a passport, and then you take that person 
you know, your significant other and you go, you go on a date to these places and then, you know, it's either discounted or free. Like you get a meal at okay. this place and then you can go rock climbing then you can go to a movie and then you See, can that's go do brilliant. this. That, that, that's, that's, I think it's positive. Yeah. Cause you can market that so many ways. Like here's also, <laughs> by doing this, you have a constant reminder that you need to spend that evening together. Right. You know, you know, and then we, we were going to do like adventure passports. So people who are like more physically active with one another, so right like on. a biking thing or, right you on. know, the, you know, some other stuff. So, um, that project is still in development. Okay. Um, but just something that I kind of cooked up, you know, I was just sitting on the couch one day. I was like, ah, I should do a couple of passports. <laughs> the man cannot <laughs> shut his brain I, off. I literally can't, man. Like all the business that. Like uh-huh. even the like the incubator businesses that I have, uh-huh. I, I mean, I, I I don't know how many there are, but there's a lot that I just kind of tinker with. Okay, you know, you just yeah. opened up a car dealership. I did. Just opened, just decided I'm opening a car dealership one day. <laughs> yeah, like so, that seems like a lot of work. Unbelievable amount of work. Yeah, it was, it was crazy, man. It, seems it really like was a lot of work though. Just like legality stuff and just unbelievable you know, with the state and registrations and sales tax and so frustrating um, really it was you know why because there is no marvel but, motors right marvel motors right? right um and that's also in springdale right um so a, as you'll notice like a lot of my businesses have like comic book you know, yes, references. I, I saw that in your video, your intro video. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of a comic book nerd. Anyway. Right on. Um, so what they, nobody tells you anything and nobody knows anything. <laughs> and the, and, and. Talking about the state. <laughs> the state, one hand doesn't know what the other hand's doing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you get conflicting reports and then you go to do something and, and, and then you're like, you can't take this step until you take this step over here. Right. And I'm like, well, why didn't you tell me I had to take this step? And they're like, well, you know, that's, uh, (laughs) you know, that's what you have to do. That's someone else's job. Yeah. So, I mean, there was just so much of that, like just the, the red tape and the hoops Mm -hmm. you have to jump through to, to do it. I was happy after I, I got it all started because I felt like I just spent like two years in college, you know, <laughs> learning about this stuff. And part of me wanted to like do like a, a tutorial, like on how do you actually start a a, a car? Like uh, you don't have enough on your plate. I know. Yeah, but I yeah obviously haven't haven't gone. I have down a friend that road. who has a notary down here. He's an amazing businessman. But he was telling me point blank. He goes, "Look, I'm not just bashing on our state government. He goes, I'm telling you, the amount of work just to communicate with the state." And all the things they did at a notary goes, it's insane. It is. It's insane. So it was a lot of work. Um, it was a decent amount of money to you I know bet. to build you know to build the inventory and uh-huh. uh, all that kind of stuff. So um, and now it's the waiting game, right? I've sold a few cars there, but I, I'm dealing with uh, some some brand like reputation issues because. The, okay. The 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 lot has always been like a buy here pay here uh, um, two three thousand dollar car lot. Got it. Got and it. Got it. Got it. Now so many people drive by it and they're like they see like a thirty thousand dollar Jeep mm-hmm. or a Jaguar mm-hmm. and they're like how much is that? 
and I'm like, it's 28.9. And they're like, 2,800? Things have changed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get that a lot. It's 2,800? Like, no, 28,000. So it, it's... And then people come yeah. into the dealership and they're like, oh man, I bought a car from here, you know, four years ago and it broke down as soon as I I, I went up the road. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I'm a different owner. You know, I'm trying to do more, you know, not up, high. Upscale. Not, yeah, upscale. Right. You know, right. Um, I put a lot of time and effort into yeah. every car I buy to make sure that if somebody is driving it off the lot, that they don't have anything to worry about. Right. So um, that's been... That's been the challenge. The, the location itself, then, just the the stereotype for the location. The stereotype for the location. Yeah. So it's going to take some time. I I say like six months to a year, um, of you know just consistently putting out certainly like good service for customers mm-hmm. and you and know inventory will start rolling over too. Yeah. So so it's uh, right now it's just patience, but it's when when you dump you know. One hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollars in the building of a dealership. Patience is not on your mind. <laughs> You're like, man, I want to freaking sell something, bro. <laughs> like, I'd imagine. Yeah, like I, I sold, I sold like three cars from there, but I wasn't even open. Yeah, at the time. Yeah, like I was just moving cars back and forth. Like I had a Corvette, put put it on there. I was literally cutting. I was cutting the grass there. And some guy rolls up. I had kind of an attitude because I was like, you can't park in here, you know. But he was like, oh, man, I want to look at the Corvette. I'm covered in grass. And so I was like, yeah, it's over there. I, like, misquoted him the price. Like, I I was like, yeah, I think it's going to be, like, sixteen <laughs> nine. And I and my brother was like, bro, you could have, you know, you 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 um you misquoted him. You could have charged him like two grand more for that car. I was like, ah, well, I already told him that. So, uh, but that was the guy. Like, he bought the car, and the Got car it. wasn't even ready. That's like, crazy. he he waited like three weeks while I, you know, because there was a bunch of stuff. Like, I wanted to get the seat sure, fixed. It sure. was it was ripped, so I got the seat fixed, and then um, you know, my brother went and put you know brakes and rotors, right. and we did all the did all the stuff to it. Had a detailed and everything and so he bought it and then um you weren't even open yet i was not even i mean not even close to being open i was just putzing around man you know i had a weed whacker in my hand when he walked (laughs) (laughs) grass clippings all over me so it was it was pretty cool though but um did you want to do this a long time ago did you think about opening a car dealership you know when you were young so um when i was when I was like 17, 18, I was like, man, I want to move to Arizona and start an exotic car dealership. Okay. Um, so that was kind of a, that was kind of a dream of mine, but I got into the car selling game. Um, when, like I said, when I worked at Monroeville Chrysler Plymouth, then I went over to beyond Lincoln Mercury mm-hmm. and, um, that literally soured me on car sales because okay. I, because bro, that was like Old Testament car sales. Like, <laughs> like when Old they, Testament yeah, car like sales. bro, when they when they would take your <laughs> when they when they would like take your keys and hide them if you were trying to leave. Like I, I did shit like that, man. It was terrible. That's great. Yeah, and I was young too, so I had all these like OGs oh, in there, man. like 60, 70 years old. I mean, bro, there were guys snorting cocaine That's in, in 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 oh their offices. 
I mean, it was like a movie. Like when I look back, it was like a they movie. They could have made a movie about that. It, yeah, man, it was nuts. So, like that really soured me. Yeah. On like the car business or the culture of the car business. And the culture of the car business, and then I got into like when I moved to Florida, I got into like motorcycle sales, and then okay. I got into like F and I. And how was bike sales for you? I loved it because I rode. Uh-huh. So and I did like track days and stuff like that. So again, I got into something I was like passionate about, sure. and that soured me on it as well because I had to deal with the people, got and it. I didn't like dealing with the people. I didn't like the like how they looked at salespeople. I yeah. didn't like how they like salespeople were treated, uh-huh. and how, I get that. how how the customer always thought that they were kind of like better, and maybe that was you know some insecurity in me at the time okay you know but um i didn't like that interaction and i didn't like the back and forth and how people would be like yeah i'm coming in tomorrow and so you're like okay you're coming in like no i went and bought a car from this guy yeah. like at three o'clock like yeah. 10 minutes after i left your lot like oh okay um all right well that's cool but uh, the whole the whole customer interaction with car sales or any kind of vehicle sales is just screwed up just, yeah that needs to change. It does. So that's part of the reason that I even started this lot. Okay. So I, I, I collect cars as well. I saw that. So, so I, I've bought cars from all types of dealerships and people over the years. And, um, I bought two cars from Carvana. Right. Um, and I was like, Holy crap, this was so easy and pleasant. Mm-hmm. And then I went to a dealership once and was there for four hours, four hours. Um, you know, the guys lied and the, the, this was at Dodge in Monroeville. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was helping my, I was helping my ex-wife buy a Jeep. Okay. And, you know, they told her, okay, we're going to give you this for the, for your trade in and we're going to do all that. And then they get her in there and they just wear you down so and switch. beat you up. Yep four hours i was so angry i was literally yelling at the at the managers it's terrible and you know i'm a keyboard warrior sometimes too so i wrote this nice long sure you uh, r- review <laughs> on you know on google but and they actually messaged me back and were like we're sorry for the experience blah 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 but anyway so i started i started the dealership to really help the the customer feel safe in purchasing a car okay because like i i don't want people to feel like they're getting take advantage taken mm-hmm. advantage of mm-hmm. when they purchase a vehicle i also don't want people to worry that when they buy a used car that when they drive down the lot the wheel's going to fall right. off right it, but I, that's happened like crazy things and and i've bought like expensive cars mm-hmm. i bought i bought a bmw i8 from anl motors and it was one of the worst experiences of my life. Really? Yeah. And it was just like the back and forth and the things that were wrong with the car and the, the stuff that they said they were going to yeah. fix, but they didn't. Yeah. And, and, you just, know, and, and I said, mm. you know, I, I hate, you know, I, I hate going through that kind of conflict. And, I, and when you're spending that kind of money. Right on. You shouldn't have to go through that kind of conflict, whether it's $5,000 or $50,000. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and dealerships, a lot of dealerships do it 
and they cut corners for a buck. No question. And that is where no question. That's where I'm different because I don't cut corners, and it costs me a lot more money. But I but I can rest easy at night knowing mm-hmm. that some, when someone drives a car off the lot that they're getting something that yeah. I would buy. Right and that's really the thing is that like I'm a I'm a buyer and I look at things I look at all my cars as if I was buying it you know got it and I fix them that way well I've had a uh, two experiences with Carvana and the process is definitely a lot easier yeah no question but I don't think that's always the they're always the best option for the consumer because you don't really get truly personalized attention in areas you don't. that you need it you know correct I mean? yeah yeah it's all canned Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like the Amazon car. I mean, if you if you just want if you just want something quick, and you, and you don't want to talk to anybody, <laughs> and you know which like if you just want it kind of a boxed car, right. like I bought a a three twenty eight i off of them. Um, you know, it only had I don't remember twenty thirty thousand miles on it, and they brought it. I drove it around the corner, and I was like, yeah, it's nice. And then they gave me the key, yep. signed it, That's and they were. It. It, and I was like, I was, I was like looking around, like, is this it? Like, really? So, um, yeah. I, but, but you're right. That's not for everybody. No. And I think for it, it doesn't work in the specialty car market. Um, no. It no. works if you want a if you want a 2014, uh, exactly. you know, Hyundai Elantra with thirty thousand miles. Yeah. And yeah. you know, they 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 give you that. War- that that warranty, right. you know, bumper to bumper. Right. So they're off. They're generally off lease cars, right? I mean, most of their inventory seems to be. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah, first time I dealt with them was about four years ago. I think they were just in their inception, and I'm like, "What is this?" So I got a small Ford for my son, his first car. And yeah, they, it was cool process. The second time I bought a used uh, G37 Infinity there. It wasn't real high end, but it was a nice car. Yeah, it's nice. kind of a leap of leap of faith to do it. And yeah. I, yeah, I've been very happy. I don't have it anymore. It got passed down through the family, but um, that process involved me going to the vending machine they have down in the South Hills. You've seen that where, the, right? That was that was nuts because <laughs> I think yeah. they had just kind of opened that thing and you pressed the button. Kind of corny. There's some yeah. marketing in there. Yeah, but it was you know you don't think about cars spinning around. You know. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. the way it's done. So the the marketing's pretty heavy on Carvana. And I, you hear people say, well, they're all overpriced. Of course, you're going to pay a premium. Not to be bothered. It's convenient. Right? right. Yeah. Exactly right. If you literally don't want to talk to anybody and you just want a new car or a new ish car, then that's that's your person. You and know, that's, that's a lot of society now. I mean, it's probably a good idea. It's me, for sure. I bought two cars from them. Absolutely, I did too. You know, and you know what? I probably uh, it was probably three years ago I did that, and immediately I bought stock and Carbono really? because I was like, man, this this company seems pretty cool. And uh-huh. I buy I buy stock based off of like based off of um things that I use. Yes. You know, well, things yeah, that I see Warren, value in. That's the Warren Buffett uh, mantra for investing, yeah. right? You know, yeah. He buys things that he understands. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh you know, I I didn't I didn't look for any financial gain out of it. I was just like, man, it's pretty cool, but I bought I only bought ten shares at thirty six bucks. Right, Carvana's over two hundred dollars a share now. I know it's insane. Huh? And now I'm looking back, man. Like I should have bought two <laughs> two hundred shares of that. You know what I mean? But I I didn't sell it or anything. But it's just cool 
Like, no question. Again, that's just part, like, I've been obsessed with the stock market since I was, like, 14. So, oh, really? Yeah, it's, like, cool to see, like, the the um, the scale and, went, and how things grow. So, how, you, so, obviously, you've been in the market for a while. Like, did your dad let you get in early? Uh, into the stock market? Uh-huh. Because um, legally, I think that I my my father kind of nudged me there too a little bit. No, I was just recent like uh, like back in the day when I was in school, you could do like fake trading. Yeah, right. They would mm-hmm. like you do like paper trading. So that's what I did. It's a good way to learn though. Yeah, um, but I I bought I had my parents buy me a how to trade stocks book when I was like fifteen. Really? Yeah, because I was just so fascinated by like seeing the guys look at the at the stock report and the yeah. on the in the newspaper uh-huh. right and i was uh-huh. like oh man what all those numbers mean uh-huh. um so uh like boiler room oh, like yeah. all that oh, stuff yeah. i was like that's oh my movie. gosh what good is movie. this yeah um so yeah that's how i got it. and i didn't i i didn't start investing until i was like in my like okay. early 20s okay yeah like it's, real it, money it's funny now how <laughs> there was stocks and then there was gambling. Yeah. And there was a big delineation between the two. Yeah. Not anymore. Gambling's legal now, so you know, the complexity of some of this gambling is just as nuts as learning the stock market. I agree. It's just not as um instant gratification. Yes. You know, unless you're like day trading. Yes. But um I, I don't really I don't day trade yet, but I would like to. Um but there's a lot of complexities in no in, question. in day in day trading. But um, it's funny that you bring this up because my buddy, uh, who he's been my friend for like 20 years, he's a he's a gambler, right? He plays the slots and all that kind okay. of stuff. Okay. And I've been trying to push him into getting into the stock market mm-hmm. because I said, listen, at least if you gamble in the market, mm-hmm. you can make you can make more money and then sell the stock. No question. Right? There's a chance that you'll lose your money, but it's a but you have almost a hundred percent chance mm-hmm. of losing your money at the casino than you do in in the market. I wanna be in control the most I can when I take a chance. And I think that when you pull a slot lever, there's just you just No. You're not you're not engaged. You're not mentally engaged with the outcome. No. And there's a there's a lot of things you can do to look at the market and say, hey, I think this is going to work. Absolutely. And it's it's long. Like I invest long term. Right. So right. I can look. Everybody should be. They should be. Right. And I look at the market like if I buy something now at 36, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, man, that might be worth something three years from now. Right. So I'm just going to sit on it. But right. too many people try to beat the market. No question. And they, they lose that way. And that is symptomatic to what we were talking about earlier, that just everybody wants instant gratification. They want to. Yeah. They don't want to wait for it. They see the movie or they see somebody in the big right. or they see, you know, Meriwether was always millions in a briefcase on social media. Oh, yeah. Well, I want to live like stuff. that. I want to yeah. live like that. Yeah. You know, I can do it in the market. There's always an angle. It's a gambling <laughs> or it's the stock market or it's selling something. It's got to be easy because someone else is doing it. Right. It's not. It's not easy. I don't. No. And it, but, but the similarity between legal gambling today and doing the stocks, I mean, I remember getting lectured as a kid. I used to ask my father, I said, Dad, what is, you know, Cousin Johnny down there taking the Monday night numbers? Yeah. <laughs> How's that really any different than, yeah. you know, 
looking at the the index, you know, doing yeah. that. It's a mentality too. Well, one's legal, one's not. Well, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right, right, right. Point of entry is just, you know, it's just so easy now. Yeah. And I think that um um I think it's a mentality. Meaning? So the mentality of the person that goes into Sunoco and gets a scratch off versus the mentality of somebody who does research on a company and buys stock is extremely different. No question. You know, so that person who, and I'm not trying to stereotype right. people, but right. that person who walks in and gets a pack of Marlboro Lights and, you know, has $36 in their bank account and gets a scratch off, that is the mentality in a large part of the mentality in the uh, casinos. No question. You know well, what well, I mean? The, the lottery is built off those people. Right. It, 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 it just people that, that people that play the lottery in volume every day. Yeah. It's a hope I get rich mentality without yeah. really putting any effort into it at all. Right. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying yeah. that's that in, in that mentality, that that group of people who believe that have built the lottery. Yeah. And really. those and those people go broke. Honestly, that 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 consumer goes broke. That's why they stay in the casino. My buddy, no question. He's won ten, twenty thousand dollars, and you know what? He's gambled it all back away of in course. the same night. And I'm like, dude, what are you night. talking about? What are you doing? He took me to the casino once. No joke. I put in, and I wouldn't get. I was like, no, you got to get. You have to give me money to gamble because I'm coming. <laughs> I'm coming here with you. So he gave me like he gave me like twenty bucks, right? No joke. I put in $5 and it was like a dollar push, right? I cashed out. I was up like three bucks. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> boop. <laughs> and I cashed out, man. He was like, what do you do? And I didn't, I didn't gamble any more than that. I was like, man, I made $3 and didn't do anything. You know? Yeah. That's the mind of a business person there though. See an entrepreneur. That's the mind of that. Yeah. As I suppose. A, yeah. No, no, really. I mean, yeah. there's, there's something to that. You relate to this because I mean, you can take the analogy and apply it to any product, but I will tell you that I was just love guitars. Like you can't believe guess. Right. Yeah. But man, once I realized that I could buy cheap and I could resell for a profit, I didn't really love them that much anymore. They became a commodity, a product. So right. my question is to you, did that happen to you with automobiles? Because it sounds like you've you've had a love with cars forever. But once you were able to turn them, did you just kind of start looking at them as you know a product? No. Um, my brother did. And okay. he tells me that he tells me that all the time that that uh, my cars have ruined his love of cars <laughs> because he sees them from a different angle, right? He he is uh, fixing them and right. all that, seeing all the problems with them, right? Like I'm seeing them from a different angle too because I'm investing the money into you know fixing them. Okay, but um, I think I have more of a love of cars because I understand them even more now than I did before. Right. Okay. Like, because I can now, and, and this is cool because I can go look at a car and say, uh, I can look at the paint and say, well, that's going to cost me $600 yeah. oh, to I get fix. It. I get that, that. You know, that seat's going to need fixed. That's going to cost me $250. And so now I have, 
I can dissect cars a lot more and I think I have a, a, a better appreciation for them. And then when someone comes in mm-hmm. and they look at the car, I can tell them all this stuff knowing that, yeah. hey, I did this, I did that, I did yeah. that. And so I think yeah, people yeah. see the, the, the genuineness. And the passion. Yeah. And the passion. And, and I think that being immersed in the guitar business and understanding guitars and tearing them apart, rebuilding yeah. them and talking to people that knew how to build them. And so, yes, my passion was there. Now, cars, much more complex, a lot more moving parts. Yeah. A lot more involved there, like regulations and licensing and all that stuff. Yeah. Much more complex. But the passion... I still love the instrument. I love to play, but it, it's for me, it just, it really, I don't know. And maybe it was more of a commodity thing because I had to move way more guitars yeah. to make a certain amount of money as you would in the car business. Right. Maybe it's a volume thing. I don't know. Yeah. But I did look at it a little differently. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. You know? Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. I mean, so when you go to uh to to get inventory for a used car dealership the first thing the consumer thinks is auction is that is that pretty much where the supply of cars is that how they start like will you start with the supply of cars you buy at auction and then you'll take trade-ins and maneuver from there how how do you start the business so i i was a little bit unconventional okay. and i bought um everything private party okay so uh i didn't want to go to the auction because a lot of the auction stuff is is uh, junk, you know, and they sell it. You don't know the problems. Interesting. You know, the, they come back and you know the frames cracked or you know okay. it's just so not you, not where I wanted to be. You so. don't get a chance to like. How does that work up there? Like, where is it, is it Butler? Is the yeah? How does that actually work? Do you go and you buy and you you can't really evaluate? You just have to take a chance. Well, they give you a run sheet on the cars. So there, there's a, there's also like an, an online auction site called uh, ACV, okay, um, where they they give you three thousand pictures of a car and uh-huh. they tell you all the things that are wrong with it, and right. they have like a um, uh, a color system, you know, like green, kind of, yellow, blue. So it's grading them. Yeah, a grading system. So okay. um, y- you you know kind of what you're getting but you don't know what you're getting okay you know what i mean like it's a risk it's a risk um for me the private party route um people took care of their cars a little bit better there was a lot more like emotional attachment to the cars now it it's a pain in the butt because you have to negotiate down to make a profit right and a lot of times like you can't I mean, you don't want to tell people that you're a dealer, right? Of course not. So people are like, relate. people are like, well, what are you going to do with this car? I'm like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just going to drive it around for a little bit. Like I tell people I collect cars, you know, like, uh-huh. oh, I collect well, cars. Well, you kind of do. I do. Yeah. I do. So yeah. that's not a full, you know, that's mostly true. Right. What I'm buying the car for. But like people get, like, that's the difference. Why should it matter? See, I'm so impassive. With it, that sh- stuff. it shouldn't. But people like, and I've been talking, like I've been buying cars from people and like, man, we went to a dealer and, and they were going to offer us this, but I'm not giving it to a dealer to sit, to, to take it and mark it up, you know, $3,000. It's, $3, it, it's nuts, man. I but know. They get, they get so combative if they know that you're reselling it, you know, and then they don't want to negotiate if they, you know, it's just. Yeah. So, so I, 
uh, I have to be careful how I say this because there is there is something I think when you're in when you're in the uh, business of real estate because there's something when you live in a house for forty years you kind of want to pass that house on to the next family. There's something yeah. romantically uh, romantically nice about that. Yeah. But for the most part, I'm as impassive as they come. If somebody had six guitars to sell and they're like, what are you going to do with those guitars? I was like, What's it to do? what do you care? Yeah. I'm offering you this amount of money. Do you want the money or don't you? Yeah. And when someone would buy something from me, I didn't. I, yeah. You know, yeah, you didn't say, what are you going to do with this? And, and I, well, I've had other dealers, and you may encounter this, maybe you have already. I've had other guitar dealers, high-end guitar dealers that had special guitars, and they would tell war stories. Why well, I sold this guitar, and that that SOB turned around, and two months later sold it on eBay for three thousand dollars more. I'm like, well, that's awesome. I mean, I yeah. don't see where that's, you know, I don't when the, the sale's done, it's done, right? Yeah, yeah. What someone else does with something, God bless them. They can make more money. God bless them. I know it's crazy. It's crazy, man. People just are so. There's no um, stewardship going on yeah there. yeah they're so gone? judgmental if if you're like it's like a dirty word <laughs> i don't know i mean so yeah yeah so so the the one one of the biggest things as well so i'm um i, I feel silly saying this but i am i'm opening a oh um God. a comic uh, a retro video game store of course and, you are <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a comic book store okay also in springdale but the the context of that is that that people selling like video games uh-huh. and comic books, they are very like they will outright say, "If you're a dealer, I don't want you to buy from me. Wow. I'm only selling to collectors." Really? Yeah, yeah. So people like they do not want to sell, and if they know that you're going to put it in their store because they're so like attached to it. I just bought I I just bought a lot of uh you know those Funko Pops. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I bought a ton, a ton of those from a guy, and um, he was like, "You're not going to sell these, are you?" Because oh, they're they're all signed. Uh, I was, like, it, but bro, they're probably worth you know two to four hundred dollars right, a piece. Right. And he was like, "You're not going to sell these, are you?" I was like, ah, "I'm probably going to just display. <laughs> I'll just display. Like, I think everything's for sale. That is, so you know, great. everything's that for sale. So but I, it, they'll be on that display is, is so until great. they sell. That is so great, man. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. And, and I, I'm telling you, Rodney, I can relate, man. I can't tell you how many guitars I bought. A lot and. The rock band Kiss just keeps coming back up into my life, but I end yeah. up selling guitars that were a certain member of the band or two members of the band. And man, those fans that had those guitars but needed to part with them were so attached to those instruments. And I was just yeah. buying them for resale. You know what I mean? You know, it's, yeah. a, it's a product and it's in good condition. I'll do a, a very fair sale. But, you know, I'll take whatever the market will give me. But man, mm-hmm. they just want to know. Yeah. It's a, it's a very strange dynamic. Yeah, yeah, falling in love with an inanimate object. Yeah, I'm just not into it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I hear you. But man. happy you had a car that you couldn't part with. Um, I like I have a Vi- I have a Dodge Viper, and um, that was like my dream car as a kid. Um, but I I mean it's not like they're so rare that I couldn't buy another one. So if somebody yeah. I think if somebody offered me something that I couldn't refuse, I would probably sell it. But it has its price. Yeah, everything has a price because exactly. because there's always a price to buy it, you know? That's exactly right. Like I can go get another one. So That's true. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we, we, we definitely get it. Well, I think the non-entrepreneurial person, yeah. the person that's not wired, their brain's not wired that way. Yeah, that is doing a, a nine to five or doing a, a steady, a steady income yeah. job and has everything budgeted out. Their collectibles mean a lot to them because they're yeah. the way they can afford another one. They they look in their existing financial pattern and they, it's pretty tough. Yeah, but the entrepreneurial brain gives you that opportunity to say, okay, well. I need to go make a couple moves and you know, I yeah. need to do this, but it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. thing could re enter my life at some point. In right, time, right, 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 right. Yeah. Exactly. It's a mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know, man. I had a lot of fun, man. Did you have fun? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I'm definitely gonna encourage you and invite you to come back and see me again for sure. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. Yeah. Because I just just way more to your story that we need to flesh out yet. Okay. I appreciate it. Buddy. Yeah, ready for round two. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> All right, Ronnie, I appreciate it. Thanks, right, man. Thanks. We are out. <laughs>